Baruchim Abayim B'Shem Hashem Berachnuchem Mivetz Hashem Welcome to our weekly Wednesday night shir. We are now started, we've embarked in Chedesh Kislev Kislev, a month of Nisan a month of miracles and as we've had the miracles in the past so too we should experience the miracles today and beginning of course the dedication to for should have a and and give much nachas and have much nachas from her children and her family. Yaakov embarks. Unlike Avram Avinu, sent on a mission, his grandfather Avram, who was sent on a mission with no destination whatsoever, his father Yitzchak was not allowed to leave the Holy Land, being a Korban Eila, and as an Eila Tmima, he was not allowed to leave the Holy Land. And therefore his father gave strict instructions to the servant that come what may, my son is not to leave, no matter who the girl is, where the girl is from. He may not leave the land. And now we meet Yaakov. Now enters or leaves Yaakov Avinu with Vayetze Yaakov Vibershava Vayelech Horono. He is leaving from a desti- from a place called Bereshava, which we're going to explain. Going into Charona, Charona Yisraelam, which we hopefully to explain. And as he begins his journey, says the Tera, Vayivka Bamokim. He stops in a place to pray and Vayolin Shom, he remains there overnight. Why? Why did he stop so suddenly, says the Teda? He just embarked on his journey, he just began. Kiva Shemesh, for the sun has set. Teaching us, Midas Derecheretz, teaching us a behavioral fact one should not travel at night needless to say this is of course in time in an era where traveling at night was prohibitively dangerous where there was no other sources no lights etc so Kiva Shemesh, therefore, causing him to park. And he took from the stones of the place, he took several stones, according to the Mepharshim, he took twelve stones. And he put it around his head. 
again a very, very pertinent message, protecting his head, protecting the mind, that precious, precious mind of a Jew, he protected it by putting the stones around them. Then the tailor tells us, And the stone that I put, singular, should be a matseva. Is that not here? Nobody here. This is a marks, a stone that was being a cornerstone with that a place for God, a home for God, anything you give me, I will tithe. So much is said, so many lessons to be learned from this short, short passage. We've told the story before. When I was 12 years old, I was not, I was 11 years old. And I had just started our 8th grade class. And basically before Tishrei, you barely get to know the teacher. I think it was a shorter Tishrei. Meaning the school year started right in Tishrei. And therefore, after Tisha's Cheshvin and Kislev, it was Pashas Vayetzei. And our teacher had to inject a Milsa the Belichusa, something light, into the lesson. And he told us the story of a very, very big tzaddik. A tzaddik that had a chair, a beautiful fancy chair, little, little holes in the seat. So little holes to air it out, it's for air, whatever it was for, like a straw chair. Well, tzaddik had an interesting experience. All the holes started to fight. They wanted that the tzaddik should sit on them. Very holy thought. The tzaddik should sit on them. God felt bad for them, and God saw their sincerity, and God therefore performed the miracle and made one big hole. (laughs) (laughs) And the tzaddik sat down. (laughs) We find this, of course, this story in this week's parsha. <coughs> Yaakov puts twelve stones around his head, and all the stones said they wanted Tzaddik to rest his head on them. The Almighty sees how serious and how devoted were these stones. The miracle happens, and the stones form to one. And therefore, where it says in plural, me'avne hamokim, from the stones, plural, and ultimately now it says, 
Now it says, Evan has a, the singular stone. Teaching us, whoa, 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 it sounds not off. Teaching us, there we go. Where am I? I'm here, okay. Welcome back, Jack. You missed you last week. Teaching us the miracle that transpired for the stones to all join together. Chazal tell us, the Medish Tanchuma, Kol Mashira Laoves Simin Labanim. Maise Oves Simin Labanim. This work and anything that happened to our forefathers is a sign, is paving the way for us. Similarly, we see later where Yaakov needs to cross the Yardin and he splits the Yardin. And this was also ultimately what broke the ice, shall we say, or what gave us the power for Moshe Rabbeinu to split the Red Sea so that the Jews could cross it generations and generations later. This journey as well of Yaakov Avino also serves that purpose. As we said, Yaakov knew where he's going. He had a destination. His GPS was programmed. Or Waze, or whatever he had. Don't worry, I'll get royalties from all these companies. I'm not, uh, yeah, definitely. They're going to hear, Google Maps, correct. They're going to hear that I advertise it on this wonderful shear, and they're going to be sending me checks. Inshallah. <laughs> he knew where his destination was. This is a terrible thing. Yaakov Miller, the, the, the Batkin once said, he had a GPS also. <laughs> and he's a real chassidish guy with a big strimal and everything. And, and um, he's usually a Batkin, which is like a a narrator, or not a narrator, sorry, a, a person at the end of the wedding, he has to tell a few jokes, and he has to introduce when the people that dance, the mitzvah tans, as it's called, they use a gartel, and they hold one end of the gartel, they hold one end of the gartel, and the, and the kala holds the other end of the gartel. Tell him to give me a shit now, 10 o'clock I'll call back. And they hold the other end of the gato. So each person gets introduced with a comic, with a rhyme, with etc. And he always has this light word. He has always has a tell a joke that people didn't hear yet. So he says that one time they love the way he speaks and the way he's so clear and everything. They decided that not only he's going to invite him to a wedding to speak, it was actually a funeral. And they didn't have anybody to officiate, and they knew he had a good tongue. They asked him to officiate a funeral. But it was a graveside funeral. So, he had to find the cemetery. And uh, since he goes to wedding halls, he knows where all the wedding halls are, but he doesn't know where the funeral is at, where the cemetery is at. So he put it into his GPS. Needless to say, the GPS was torturing him recalculating, 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 because he didn't want to listen to what the GPS had to say anyway. 
and whatever the GPS told him to turn right, he turned left, etc., and the poor thing was recalculating. Finally, finally, he pulls into the cemetery, and pulls up next to the grave, and the GPS says to him, you have arrived at your final destination. <laughs> he threw it out. <laughs> he says, is that my funeral? Um, Yaakov knew where he's going though. He's going out of his father's house in Be'er Be'er and he's going to Choron. Each person in their life in their private life, has this journey. The behavior of our grandfather, Yaakov, <coughs> and we need to learn from it. The Be'er Shava. What is this Be'er Shava? It's a settled place. The dwelling of Yitzchak Avinu. It got its na- it received the name because peace was made between Avram and Avimelech in this place. The well that was dug up afterwards with Avimelech and the general union of peace and tranquility that took place here, and therefore the place named Be'er which was the dwelling of Yitzchak Avinu. On the flip side, Choron is Cheren Afshal Mokim. Let us even not even translate it. It's derogatory. Rashi explains this. Before Yaakov was able to marry and to set up his wonderful family of the twelve tribes, the Yidbei Shvatim, which is of ultimately where all the Jewish nation comes from, before he could do that, he had to be in Be'er Shava, in a special holy place, and then he had to leave his Be'er Shava, he had to leave the sanctuary, and he had to go out, from the yeshiva of Shem Ve'ever, from this place of learning Teda, to build a house, a Bayes Bisrael, in a place called Choron, in a lifestyle of Choron. And therefore, the Jewish nation was established in Choron, not in Be'er only when there are tests, trials, tribulations, does a Jew shine through. Can serve Hashem Yisbarach. And there a person can set up a proper Jewish home. And this ultimately is a life lesson for generations to come. We need to overcome tests. And we stand through, and we have to shine through all the tests. We build a bias we throw. And we make a bias, a Jewish house, in a beautiful form and fashion, 
as the God, God Almighty wants. And this is reverting back to, I told you, that I had spoken for a group of sea teens. I told them the story that the Rebbe said to the fellow that wanted to marry a shiksa, I envy you. Huh. I envy you. Because you are now going to withstand a test Something that I have never been tested. Something that I personally never had to go through. Never was subjected to. And yet you're going to withstand this. You're going to be at a higher level than I ever ascertained. This is how a person needs to build, to fortify, and to grow in Judaism. How does it all come about? First, we need to have Vayivka Bamokim. Yaakov knew he had to leave the house. He had to go to his uncle Lovan, his mother's brother. He didn't get Rosetta Stone, he didn't go to Berlitz. Again, we're getting royalties from all these companies to learn the foreign language. He was leaving his country. In his house, he spoke only Yiddish. And now he had to go to his uncle. Who knows what language? He doesn't sit down and study the language of the land, the currency of the land, the customs of the land, the foods of the land, the drinks, etc. He doesn't go to study any of this. He doesn't go to understand what the fashions, the garments that they wear. The first thing he does, he sits down to daven. He sits down to pray. Connects with God. Again, a life lesson for when a family builds a bias chodosh b'yisrael, a person could think, until now I was at home or I was in yeshiva, I sat and I studied and I learned, I did my mitzvahs. Now I need to build, I need to develop, I need to go out and explore. I need to know customs. I need to know what people do, how people act, how people behave, how they talk. Here comes into play Simon Labonim. Again, the lesson of our forefathers paving the way for us. It's not the only thing that a person needs to do to come down into this world, but rather Vayifka Bamokin. One needs to pray short few moments before the shir tonight I received a phone call um, somebody that's that knows me well and he said that a friend of his a person that he deals with or works with has a personal family issue going on with a daughter 
in the hospital. I'm not sure what, I don't know what the story is, because ultimately it's not my business right now. They wanted to write to the Rebbe. They wanted to write a letter to the Rebbe to ask the Rebbe for bracha. But the person is not going to call me, he doesn't know me from, from beans, as we say in America. What I call the person, I have a few minutes before the shir, I say, okay, how could you not call a Jew in, in, in despair? I called him up, I took out the Nicholas Kedish, and there's a beautiful letter about Hanukkah, how a person needs to believe, and how the fear of God comes before anything else. And as long as you have the vision, as long as you have the concentration, the dedication to know that everything has to be everything has to be the way God wants it to be, then everything else falls into place. So was the gist of the letter from the Rebbe. And the Almighty should answer his prayers and should see to it that whatever the situation therein should be alleviated and everybody should be happy and healthy. Um, moving on, Vayivka Bamakim is the first thing that we meet that Jacob does. Then Vayikach Me'avne Amokim Vayosim Merashesov. He takes the stones and puts them around his head. Says Rashi to protect him from the Chayi Sarois. Now the truth to be told, he could have lit, a, lit a fire, and if he would lit a fire, it would also keep away the animals. They don't particularly care for fire either. But okay, he put the stones around his head. Now, what does that really mean as far as we're concerned? What is that really teaching us? What is our true lesson from this? In the world there are many Chayas Reyes. Even before you get to Choron, even prior to arrival in the Chareini Shalelam, there are many, many wild animals, wicked animals. As soon as one leaves from Be'er Shava and is en route to the Choron, one must be very careful for the Chai Yisraelis. And therefore one must surround their heads with stones, protecting that one does not allow outside influences to get into the head. The exposure of today's society, the exposure of today's world, one needs to filter, and one needs to protect oneself from being affected by this exposure. And therefore, says Yaakov Avinu, put these stones around your head. Why the head? The rest of the body they can eat? If an animal is going to come attack, he's got his head protected. What about the rest of his body? Again, a lesson from Yaakov. 
A person that does something that needs to be involved with the world, with his hands, with the rest of the parts of his body. Granted, we do work with our hands, we do this, we do that, we go places, but the head needs to remain protected. The head needs to remain intact, connected only with the study of Tera and with service to God. And David HaMelech puts it eloquently in Yegea Kapecha Kiseichel. Your hands, the work of your hands, you will eat. It doesn't say Reshecha, your head, because the head needs to remain for Tera and for Yerushimayim. Whoops, I missed a call. When the head is in its right place, when the head is where it belongs, the hands go in a form of using the right and the left, putting in the right places, in the right perspective. The feet go for Dva Mitzvah, and all the other organs of the body are devoted and dedicated to God. Protection of the head is me'avne ha'mokim the stones of the place. When a person acts like a doimim of the four types, four prototypes there are in the world, there's the doimim, tzemeach, chai, and medaber. Yes, but we're not going into that Tamokim right now. There, uh, yes, there's a whole about the concept of Tamokim. And the person acts in that way. Like a simple servant that receives the yoke of his master, the stone that does not move from its place, unless someone moves it, so too the person's stubbornness, the person's behavior needs to be. No winds, no elements should be able to move a Jew from his place. The Jew has to stand steadfast and do what God wants him to do and does not move right or left. We do not deviate from the way of God. What is the merit? Not gold and silver become the Beis that become a monument 
even not the city's stones, the precious stones, the simple stones that Yaakov finds on the road to Choron, they will become base Elikim, a house for God. Because Vayidar Yaakov, Nedar Yaakov swore, he committed himself, he bound himself to the want and to the mission of God. Therefore these stones as well elevate and they become a base Elikim. When a person gets used to acting like this and sees that not only the Siddur, the Chumash that are in his house are holy, but the way a person eats in his house, any other vessel, any other thing that he has in his house, all is devoted and dedicated to God's service and his behavior when he davens or when he learns or when he sleeps and this all becomes Zeshara Shemayim in that way everything in his house becomes a Beisalikim a house of God and truly remains as such a Mishkan Kodesh Lashem fellow in the olden days people made our poverty level look very very wealthy in the olden days the IRS had nothing to audit we're talking about people that literally did not have a farling to live off they raised families educated the children they did what they had to do to ensure the next generation continues in the way of God. But yet, they had nothing. One such fellow had an unfortunate Poritz, a landowner that was very anti-Semitic, extremely taxing, and very hard on the people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there was nothing left. If the taxes and everything this guy took, if you put a little bit of food on the table, it was a miracle. The time had come, unfortunately, he had to marry off his children. He had to marry off a daughter. Who's talking to you? You got no money, you got no way of supporting. And he didn't know what to do. He decided to travel to Lezhensk. And he went to see Elimelech Lezhensk. And he was going to ask for a blessing from Elimelech. He came to Elimelech Lezhensk. And after two days in Lezhensk, he finally got a private audience 
And he enters into the holy study of Elimelech and he bursts out crying. And through the bitter tears he tells his woeful story, his woeful plight. His daughter needs to be married and no match is being offered because there's no money. Bikitar, after his crying and ranting, Elimelech says, I hear you. I know this is what you're asking for, this is what you came for. Let me help you out. And he opens his drawer. He takes out three coins, each one a value of ten kopecks. Thirty kopecks. For the record, don't think that those days thirty kopecks had any value. Thirty kopecks ain't getting you into the grocery store. It was, it was some. It's not making a wedding. It's not making a wedding. You need a thousand kopecks for a wedding, just to give yourself, to to gear you. You need a thousand kopecks for a wedding, and this guy's have now. He now has thirty kopecks. No, it's not going to cut it, as we say. And the Melech told him, "I'm sure this is what you've been waiting for. Here it is. Gog is now, the guy had a choice, obviously, to tell the Rebbe, I'm sorry, Rebbe, you didn't understand what I'm talking about. Um, or to tell the Rebbe, Rebbe, you got to do better than that, because 30 kopecks is not paying for my daughter's shoelace in her shoe. But he understood that the Rebbe told him, and this is it, and he took his 30 kopecks, he put them in the pocket, he backed out of the room, and... Now comes the hard part. As a chassid, one needs to understand that one needs to have blind faith when it comes to the Rebbe. If the Rebbe asks a chassid to do something, with blind faith, the chassid needs to do it. A chassid does not question the Rebbe. A chassid does not question the Rebbe's motives, and a chassid definitely does not question the Rebbe's requests. But sometimes, you have to be a Balmadrega, you have to be on quite a level to be able to do that. And our friend here, with 30 cupcakes in his hand, to make a wedding for his daughter, It's a little awkward. But, he said, I know there's a plan. I know that Rebbe means something. But as fast as he said that, his little Yetzirah came back and said, Oh really? Like what? What could possibly be meant? What could we do with 30 cupcakes? And he walked, he started to walk home now his two-day journey of walking. And he got to the outskirts of Lezhensk, and he hears a voice, wait, 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 calling, screaming, begging, pleading. He turns around, he sees one of the chassidim. And the guy is chasing. He's running with all his might, he's screaming. He says, uh, 
Okay, now the Rebbe saw that I withstood the test, and the Rebbe sent me the rest of the money, probably. He says, please, please, the Rebbe said he gave you 30 kopecks. He said, yeah, three coins of ten. The Rebbe said, you don't need more than 20, give back one. <laughs> this has got to be a bad joke. With 30 kopecks, I couldn't do anything. So now that I was taking back one of the 10 kopecks even, leaving me with only 20? Alright, what can I do? He reaches in his pocket, gives back one of the coins, and he sets on his journey. Traveling already for hours. He's walking for hours, and he's very weary and tired. And Elf Davis day is not exactly on a, uh, the I-95. These roads in the middle of a, of a forest get sometimes quite scary. Especially when you see a band of hooligans sitting around a fire. Now these hooligans are definitely going to not say Shabbos. They did not look like they were user-friendly people. What's going to happen now? Well, he decided he's going to just walk stiff up a lip. And as he gets closer, they all stand up and they start coming towards him. Alright, he starts to say something to him. And they're standing in front of him, they have him surrounded basically. And they take out this wallet, beautiful, beautiful leather wallet with gold trimmings and a beautiful wallet. And they say, you want to buy the wallet? He says, let me see it. He opens the wallet, inside there's a wad of money, of bills. A lot of money. But he realized that these hooligans are peasants. They know copics. They don't know what dollars are. As far as they're concerned, these are pictures. On paper. Picture paper. Say so he realized now, he says, how much do you want for the purse? They said 30 copics. He says, oh no. The Rebbe took back 10. I don't have 30. Then he chapsach. He says, you know what? I don't have 30. But I'll take all the paper inside and I'll give you 20. You keep the purse. Now that made them very happy. They're getting rid of the junk inside it. The paper, which made it look like a they don't know what which to them had no value actually. They're getting rid of all this paper and they are having the purse. The wallet. Now they can sell the wallet. So they're going to sell the wallet now for 30 copics. So they'll get 30 for the cop- for the wallet and 20 for the paper. No. Zanana v'zanana. Everyone's going to be happy now. Chassid takes the money, 
and books it. Let's say in America. He gets lost. He walks away quickly. And as he gets far enough away, he begins to count. And he notices, he counts, over a hundred thousand copics. Wow. A veritable fortune. Well, he starts heading home, a wealthy man now. He's going to have enough money to pay for his chasanis, all his children, support his son-in-law, and even help a few people in town. It's a new world now. And then all of a sudden, of course, came the thoughts in the back of his mind. What happens if this is a Jew's wallet? If this is a Jew's wallet, I can't keep this money. I got to give it back. So he picked himself up again, he went back and decided to travel back to Lezhensk to ask the Rebbe what to do. No. He travels back to Lezhensk and before he has a chance to go see the Rebbe again, he sees one of the Shkotsim, one of the hooligans. And the guy is beaten up from head to toe. He says to him, well, 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 what happened to you? Shegit says, ah, remember that purse, that wallet? He says, yeah. He says, when you didn't want to take it, we thought we'll sell it. Then one of us said, it's, you know, it's what is it worth already anyway, and they threw it into the fire. We threw it into the fire. It started getting, oh, excuse me, it fell in the fire. It fell into the fire, it got singed. So we realized it lost its value now. And we're not going to be able to sell it. So we just left it in the fire, and it got totally consumed. He got totally consumed and was burnt. The interim, the pirates, came looking for his wallet. It belonged to the pirates. And he came upon us and he saw and he said, where's my wallet? And we didn't know what to say. And he saw his wallet was in the fire. And he figured if the wallet was burnt, everything inside it was burnt. So he no longer pursued it. He no longer followed up on this. And he left. Chassid realized, had he had 30 cupcakes. And the guy says to him, if you would have taken the wallet also, he would have chased you instead.
And the Chassid realizes that if all these hooligans got a beating of their lives, if he would have caught the Jew with his wallet, he would have killed him. But he also realized the money was hefke. It belonged to a guy. And therefore, he was scot-free. He had the money, and the money was now his. And the Rebbe realized, the Melech Lezhensk realized, that 30 kopecks was stuck too much. He only had to have 20. If he would have had 30, he would have purchased the entire purse. Lifelong question. Pashas Vayetzi. Yaakov marries Rachel. First he marries Leah, and then he marries Rachel. Yaakov Avinu. Two sisters? We know that our forefathers kept the entire Torah before it was given. No. How does he marry two sisters? It says clearly in the Torah of Isha Lachesa, Leisikach, a man may not take a woman and her sister. How does he go and marry two sisters? There are tons of answers. One of the most simplest of answers is that the daughters of Lavan were not Jewish. And they needed to convert. So Rachel converted and Leah converted. Once they converted, they were not sisters. They were no longer sisters. Kaput the problem. That's one of the commonplace answers. But the truth is, our little Ben Chomish Lamikra, who we're so fond of, and we learned so much from, studied this Pasuk in the Tera. <laughs> doesn't, he, doesn't he ask that question? How does he understand in the simple value of the Pasuk that Yaakov married two sisters? How do we know he understands it? Because Rashi, the guardian of the Mechamesh Lamikra, doesn't mention it. He doesn't feel it important to clarify for the Mechamesh Lamikra what happened here. In that case, there's got to be a simple explanation that in the simplest form is understandable what happened? If you ask a child, what is the love of Isha as a Why may a man not marry two sisters? The child will tell you 
common sense, they're going to get into fights. And they're going to get into fights and then they're going to destroy each other. They're going to hate each other. And it's a known thing that when there's two, two wives, the two wives don't usually get along. So why do that to two sisters? They'll just torture each other. Says Rashi, in the beginning, Yaakov said, I want to marry Rachel. Love and Rami fools him and gives him Leah. What was Yaakov's holy and pure intent? To marry Rachel. And he wanted to make sure he does. So what does he do? He sets up a whole plan. A whole plan of action. How he's going to do it. And they have a whole system. With a bunch of different signs. That Yaakov is going to give to Rachel. Under the chuppah. And once he gives her these signs. And she gives back her signs. They'll know that they are the ones. And they will get married. What happens? Rachel is very concerned for her sister Leah. So Rachel tells her sister Leah all the signs. When she gives her sister Leah all the signs, therefore her sister Leah is ultimately able to marry Yaakov. We see therefore that Leah and Rachel, the Benchamesh, the Mikra, knows how close Leah and Rachel were. Knows how loving one they were with one another. And therefore, and therefore, the Benchamesh, the Mikra is not concerned that they're going to fight. The Benchamesh, the Mikra understands that these two sisters are very pure and love each other enough, they'll never fight. And that's why Rashi doesn't come to explain it. That's why Rashi doesn't have the question. Because the Mechamish Mika says, why are two sisters not allowed to marry? Because they're going to fight. And these two are not going to fight. They love each other. <coughs> Let's go a little more into the serious explanation though. The simple shot. Before Matan Teda, when it says the others kept all the mitzvahs, before Matan Teda, yes. Hold on. Yeah. She's fine, she's fine, she went to sleep. Oh, hold on, hold on, just hold on, hold on. No, 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 she's probably awake upstairs, hold on. Go give it to her later, tell her to bring it to my wife quickly. Um.
They didn't keep the Tehret. The mitzvahs that they definitely had to keep were the seven mitzvahs b'nei Neach, the seven Noachide laws. And here they're being over one mitzvah of the Torah. So these seven mitzvahs that they were mechuyiv, the seven mitzvahs of which are called seven mitzvahs b'nei Neach. The rest of the mitzvahs they accepted as a chumrah. There were stringencies that they took upon themselves. But the truth is, they were potter. And therefore, marrying two sisters would not have been problem halakhically. More so, the dinim. And the boundaries that they accepted upon themselves of the Bnei Nayach, that was an obligation. And we find actually that Yaakov was punished when he didn't honor his father and his parents. Even though they're not from the seven mitzvahs of Bnei Nayach. In the mitzvahs that they accepted upon themselves, they had to do properly. Because they were mechuyiv, according to Din. And therefore this is even more than mitzvahs ha that they accepted upon themselves. Therefore we find that before Matan Teda as well, they accepted upon themselves the Bnei Nayach to be careful not to fool one another. It's not one of the seven Noahide laws. But it was a custom accepted, it was a common practice in the world. You did not go and fool and deceive people. <coughs> and we find Yaakov's expression when he sees that he didn't marry Rachel, he married Leah. The expression, Lomarimisani, why did you fool me? Fooling is not an accepted practice in the world. The world said we don't do these things. Therefore, we understand now, since Yaakov was guaranteed, he guaranteed to Rachel that he would marry her. And he gave us signs to make sure that he'd be married to her. So the fact that if he would never marry her, if he only would have married Leah, he would have deceived her. He would have deceived Rachel. And therefore would, and therefore would be going against a principle which was commonly practiced and commonly accepted. So therefore, Yaakov had no choice but to sacrifice this hidur of the 613 mitzvahs that he took upon himself from the Tera 
in lieu of the mitzvah of not fooling another person, not deceiving another person. In order not to deceive Rachel, he had to do this. And this we find similarly a story with the Levitzchak Badichev, a simple Yid, was a Yid named Rabbi Akiva. He lived in a town, and he was always like the sage of the town. Everybody loved Akiva. Everybody had respect and honor to him. It was, he was just a great guy. And after many years, and literally all the generations knew him already, three generations, all of a sudden Akiva said he's moving to Israel. Everybody was devastated. All of a sudden he's leaving us, but they figured he wanted to spend his last life, living years in Israel, and be buried in the Holy Land. No, but to schlep, how much can you schlep already? It's a journey, older person. So Akiva said, my svarim, I'm leaving in the shul, I'm leaving everything of the nation to the shul, and I'm going to go to Israel. And there was big goodbyes and everything, and Akiva left. A month later, the town receives a letter from Akiva, I've arrived in Israel, I'm safe. But a little over a year later, Akiva was back. Akiva was back. And they started to inquire, what's going on? Why did you come back? Did you have to run away? Were you threatened? Were you this? Were you that? No guessing and not telling. No. Akiva lived in the city again, moved back home. A few months later, Akiva called the Hebra Kaddisha, the burial society. And they came to his house, they figured he was old, decrepit already, he's falling apart, they figured it's his last moments. He sat there with them in silence, they sat, they sat, they sat. And he said, do me a favor, could you come back tomorrow? Okay, they respected him, they revered him, they went home. Next day they came back again, sat again, repeated itself, and he asked, please come back a third day. They were not happy with the idea, but finally they came back. He came back the third day and he says, finally I want to tell you a story. Many years ago I merited to be in the city of Badichev. And I was in the town of Badichev and I came into the shul once early morning and Rebbe Yitzchak was there himself. And he's reciting the Bichas HaShachar. An inspiration that I've never can imagine I've seen here. And as he recited the blessings of the morning, I answered Amen to each one. He didn't know I was there. And all of a sudden a Jew comes running in, crying and bawling. I'm not from this town. I came into the town. I stayed in the hotel. And I was robbed. I was robbed. Someone stole everything I have. No. And I tell you, I know who it is. Says, who is it? It's the lady, the cleaning lady in the hotel. Ah, uh, yeah, you sure about that? Definitely. So they call on the cleaning lady. Never, she comes in front of the baditchva and he starts to inquire and inspect, and she bursts out crying. I would never do such a thing. I'm an honest young girl. I'm that. Kid said, 
And when Yitzhak saw that this guy, this lady didn't steal it. But this guy lost his money. Maybe Yitzhak said, anyone that's willing to give this money to this man, I will guarantee him Elam Haba. Place in the world to come. No. I heard the amount, says Rekiva, and I had a little more than that, only a little bit. I knew if I give this amount, I'm going to be poor for the rest of my life. But I couldn't turn down a chance of, of Elam Haba from the Baditchever. So I came forth and I gave the money. And I paid the money. And the man was happy. He went his way. And the, the Baditchever told the maidservant, Don't worry, Mamala. You'll be taken care of also. You'll be compensated for this embarrassment. And to me, he sat down, he wrote me a title saying that he's guaranteeing me Elam Haba. No. The next day, the Badichiva calls me in. And he says to me that the Ganev had Kharata, regretted doing it. And he said to me, I want to do Tshuva. He came to me and said, I want to repent. And he offered me, he gave, didn't offer, he gave me back every penny. He gave me back the money. Says the Madichiva to me, Hey, hey, here's the money. Take back your money. Because you don't have to lay it out. But on condition, give me back my note. And I said, uh uh-uh. uh. You're not getting back the note for no money. But the money is here. Says, give it to the. You said you're going to make the maid servant to make it up to her. Give it to her. She deserves it. But my tettle stays with me. The kids, I took the tettle. He says, I took this note and I bound it into my sitter. When I left to Etzisrael, I got to Etzisrael. I realized I didn't have the sitter. I must have left it with all my swatim that I left in the shul. So I had no choice. Oh, the Badichva told him that this letter you'll take the day you die, you give it to your Hebrew Kadisha and say they should bury you with it. And now I saw that I left it in the shul. So I had to come back here in Chutzlaretz to get my letter. And I went to the shul and I found my siddur and the letter is taka there. And Hainach, here is the letter as I'm now about to pass away. Now you know why I came back out of it. So, here's the letter. And please see to it that you bury me with it. So that, let us all hope and pray that this month of miracles, everyone should get the miracles they need and deserve. Everyone should be blessed with the ultimate miracle, which should be the miracle of Mashiach Tzidkenu, and that we should spend this Shabbos in Yerushalayim, in Akedash, Shabbat Shalom to all.